hey, let's see, I want to go ahead, I want to invite you, hey, listen, get your copy of the Word of God, stand to your feet, I want to read a passage, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 17, let's let the Word of God speak, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about grace this morning, everybody say it with me, grace, come on, let that roll off your tongue, come on, grace, grace, what is it, it's something you don't deserve, something I don't deserve, it's just grace, it's favor. It's a gift, and here's what it looks like. John Phillips says this about, about grace and mercy, that grace and mercy are God's love in action. So just think about that as, it, as it's read in your ears. This is a passage of grace and mercy. Verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent or an injurious or a violent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant, that is double, explicitive, I think that's the way you say that. It is a, an, an emphatic way to say that. The Lord was exceeding abundant with faith, with love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. I'm number one. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor, be glory, forever and ever. Amen. So this, this context of grace and mercy ends with just this exhortation of praise, just a doxology to conclude uh, the conversation about the greatness of our God. Father, bless your people. Speak, encourage, bless, God challenge in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as you find your place, I want to say, hey, welcome. Welcome back to the assembly. Glad you're here. Welcome on Facebook. I know lots of folks are there this morning. First Timothy chapter 1 has been just kind of a launching pad for us to think about framework for life. As we step out of infancy and into toddlerhood as a church family, you know, we've talked about putting this structure in place that gives the church stability to thrive for generations to come. And so you have the church and you have the steeple and you have the people and setting certain platforms and structures in place so that there is, you know, stability for lots, lots of years. And we've talked about, you know, relationships. We've talked about the danger of false teachers and false doctrine and that kind of thing. And hey, today is Father's Day. And it just so happens that we're in the context where this relational language is addressed from a father to a son. And so we, what we know about this conversation is Paul is the author and he is, you know, he is an aged apostle by this time. He is seasoned, he is church planner, he is you know, gray-headed, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and he has a protege, 
a son in the faith. That's how he addresses him in verse 2. A true son in the faith. Part of the background, the history of their first meeting is that Paul is on his first missionary journey going through Lystra and Derby and Iconium. And most theologians agree that, that Timothy is saved on this first missionary journey in Lystra. And from that point forward, there is a bond, there is a kinship that develops all the way through unto the end of 2 Timothy where Paul is martyred for his faith and Timothy is tasked with carrying on the ministry of the gospel. And so they have a, a kinship. Now, let's talk about this Father's Day thing for a minute. So I'm going to talk to us as a church, but I'm also going to talk to you guys as fathers. And you may say, well, I had a bad experience with my father. I couldn't trust my father, you know, whatever. Or I had a father, you fill in the blank. I don't know how Father's Day fits you. For me, I've reflected and I say, hey, what do I say about, about my father, my experience? And it's great. I mean, that's just the truth about it. My father is my best friend. More than that, I, I thought about, hey, what can I, you know, what's one of the takeaways from, from you know, learning from him? And, and it's this. There's never been a time in my life where I've asked him for anything that he didn't give it or help, you know, be there. So, you know, really, really grateful. In this context, you know, we, we know some things about Timothy's family dynamic. So here's the first thing that we know. We know that from a maternal perspective that he has, you know, some pretty good structure in his home life as it has to do with his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. In fact, Paul talks about them as being a source of Timothy's faith. He says to Timothy, I see the faith in you, but I saw it first in your grandmother and your mother. And so they are the teachers in the home of this young minister who now is pastoring this church in Ephesus. But what we don't know a lot about is dad. So, hey, let's ask some questions about Timothy's dad. Was he, you know, was he present? Did he die as, at an early age? You know, what's going on? Because we don't know his name. The only thing we know about Timothy's dad is that he was a Greek. His mom was a Jew and his father was a Greek. And that's not kosher. Y'all know what I'm saying? So that's like people being married from opposite sides of the tracks. People from different races. Whatever, however you want to say that, you got a Gentile and a Jew or a Greek that's come together. And so Timothy is born into a family that's already got some dis in the functional. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, it's not the best case scenario from a social perspective. So there's been some challenges in Timothy's home life as a, as a young man growing up. So I say that to say this. Hey, regardless of what your status is from a fatherly earthly perspective, let me just say that this letter is addressed from a father who is not a true biological father to a son that has been adopted because of a commonness in Jesus Christ. They have become family through Christ, and that's it. And so what you have is a young man who needs a father, and this older man who is, who is wise enough and loving enough to, to be a mentor and to be a father figure to this young man who needs one. 
And so what I'm going to say to you as a young man, possibly, is this. Hey, maybe there's an older man that you need to, to connect with and say, hey, I need some help. I need some spiritual guidance. Can you be a mentor to me? For some of you older guys that have been there and done that and been through the fire and walked with Jesus and have a good testimony of faith, it's good for us to grab somebody who's coming along behind us and pouring into them, pouring life back in. Listen, I don't know if you know it or not, but we family. You forever going to be part of my family. I mean, we, we, we started that connection and that kinship here. I mean, I'm a child of the, of the same God that you are. The same Lord that saved me is the same Lord that saved you. And according to Scripture, we have been adopted. We're no more strangers and foreigners, but we are sons of the Most High God. Why don't you just turn to your neighbor and say, you better get used to me. I'm going to be here for eternity. I mean, listen, we got to live together and function together. It's, you know, it's kinship. There's, there's kindredness among us. But what I want to say and push forward is on this Father's Day, hey, let's, let's adopt somebody. And that's a, that's, a, that's a good concept. I mean, we've got some people in the house that are going through the adoption process. They've fostered kids and are giving them another chance it's good for us to think about one another in that way hey if you don't have any kindredness around here get you somebody blessings to you yeah bless hey get hey get you somebody get some con- connectedness of pour in what you have get what you what you need that's part of what family is all about and so it's that dynamic that we find in here Paul adopts Timothy as a son and Timothy you know he clings to Paul as a father in the faith because he needs the wisdom and experience that that he's received happy father's day the context speaks more loudly you know more loudly than relationship all oh, that's all oh, though that's an important part of what's going on and the main focus of this deal is the grace of God. And I don't know if you've thought about it lately, but the grace of God is pretty amazing. I mean, we sing about it, they write songs about it, but the reality is, is grace is pretty amazing. So what does it mean? The word grace that's translated for us in English comes from the Greek charis, and it literally means favor. It's this idea of being favored And so some have said it like this, grace is the unmerited favor of God. In other words, I don't merit it or deserve it. It's just that which God has chosen to bestow upon me. Grace is receiving that which I do not deserve. Mercy is the flip side of that same coin. So you have grace, which I receive that which I don't deserve. On the other side, there's mercy, which which is not receiving that which I do deserve in this text. There's both. There's one coin with both sides, and it speaks really loudly of this framework and structure that we never need to lose. Y'all look at me for a minute. Never get over or past the grace of God. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it really is. To think about God loving me and 
choosing me and favoring me in spite of. I mean, that's, that's the language. And, and I'm going to, you know, I really want to point out some things about this particular context. There is an, an amazing work of grace. There's a purpose for grace. And then there's a response to it. All of that I want us to get, okay? Everybody good? Say I'm good. Come on. It's Father's Day. Y'all got to be excited. The U.S. Open is on. You want something to do this afternoon? You don't have something to do? Do that. Get you a good nap. Steaks on the barbecue. I don't know what's on your, on your plate, but grace is the greatest thing that I can talk to you about. The grace of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ bestowed upon us. So let's talk about this work of grace. Let me ask you for a minute. Hey, what is it that, that reflects the grace of God in your life? Have you thought about that lately? Hey, what, what is it that reflects God's favor on your life? Just let that simmer for a minute. Hey, what, what, what looks like God's grace in my life? Y'all want to know what grace looks like in my life? So yesterday we had, we had some grandkids. We always got grandkids. I mean, they just everywhere. Well, you know, we're, we're around cooking out and that kind of thing yesterday with the grandkids. And so I took the three amigos, the three oldest ones. That's Fenway and Cooper and Adeline. So I load them up in the truck and we go to the blueberry farm. We go to Eddie's to pick some blueberries. If you want blueberries, talk to Eddie. $8 a gallon, you go pick them all you want. Beautiful. So we load up in the truck and the kids want to ride in the back. Y'all remember those days, right? It's against the law. I said, get in the back. Let's go. So they got, get, got in the back of the truck. I take them to the end of the driveway. And anyway, they're having a good time. Get to the end of the driveway. They get in the truck. I'm a law-abiding citizen. Just to clarify, Facebook land. I'm not hauling kids in the back. So anyway, we do that lawfully. We go around, go to Eddie's and go out to the farm. We pick blueberries, look at the cows and play on the swing under the big oak tree. Beautiful place and Anyway, just having a great time. On the way back, pull into the driveway. Kids, I want to get in. I want to ride in the back. Okay, get in the back. So I'm driving by myself back up the driveway and just thinking about God's goodness, man, just the grace of God. I don't deserve any of that. Just really don't deserve any of that. And yet it's been God's favor. You know, I I really say this of myself, and you're going to laugh when I say it, but I think I'm one of God's favorite kids. I mean, I really do. I mean, I do not deserve all that God blesses me with over and over and over again. It's just the favor of God. It's just His grace. Not that I deserve it or that I've earned it. It's just God's goodness, just His grace in, in my own life. It's good for you to recognize that. It's good for us to celebrate that. Speak of that. So Paul, in this letter, he goes from saying, listen, beware of false doctrine." Look out for the wolves and beware and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden he switches gears and he starts to talk about, man, just the amazingness of what God has done in my life. He, he gives some, you know, he, he gives some grace things. He says that, hey, Christ has enabled me and that he's counted me faithful and he's put me into the ministry. This idea of enablement, God has empowered, God's empowered me. He's given me a power from on high that I didn't have before. He's enabled me. He's given me the unction. He's given me the passion, the ability to do that which he's created me for. He's, he's enabled me. It's this, it's this empowerment. It comes from the Greek term that we get our word dynamite from. 
God's placed, placed that in me. That was a grace gift. He's, you know, he's counted me faithful. Literally, God has filled me with faith. Given me faith to believe. Given me faith to trust him. That faith that's in your heart, it's a gift from God as well. It's, it's a grace gift. He has... He's given me a purpose to be here. He's given me a ministry. He's placed me in, into the ministry. I didn't do that on my own. I wasn't called by my mom or by my dad. God placed me there. And it's not a platform position or a position of authority or anything else. This word is diagonal, where we get serving tables and waiting on people. So Paul said, you've counted me faithful. Not that you've given me a role at the First Baptist and, you know, whatever, big TV ministries. You've counted me faithful. You've allowed me to serve your people. You've placed me into the ministry, this, this you know, position of waiting table, just serving people, loving God's people. That's what you've enabled me to do. It's a grace gift, the work of grace. It's, you know, it's reflective in in his language, this work of grace, it is, you know, it's, it, it really speaks of what God can do. I mean, it really does. I mean, I know some of your stories, and I know what it took for God to do what he did, right? Paul said, I'm the worst of the worst. He says of himself that, that I was a blasphemer. What does that mean? That means he spoke intentionally against the name of Jesus. He was against Christ. He was anti-Christ. He was a blasphemer. He says, more than that, I persecuted the church. He was a pursuer of those that were Christians, those that were operating with Christ as Savior. He says that I was a violent man. We know of Paul that he wreaked havoc on the church. That's biblical language. And that he was in charge of extinguishing, killing people. Come on, man. And yet he received mercy. I obtained mercy, he said, because I did it ignorantly. Y'all tune in with this. I mean, listen, it wasn't that Paul didn't know what he was doing. I mean, he knew, he knew he was being destructive. He knew that he was wreaking havoc on the church. It wasn't that he didn't know. It was just that he was misinformed. His upbringing is, is Judaism. And he's zealous in that way. And so the doctrine and the things that he knew from Gamaliel and those teachers of the law, you know, he thought he was doing the right thing. So he says, I did what I did ignorantly in unbelief. It wasn't that he know, knew, didn't know he was causing harm. It's just that he thought he was doing right. When he got saved by the grace of God, because of the mercy of God, he says, man, God saved the worst sinner of all. And so, you know, for, for me, that means God can even save me. God can even do it for me. That's what grace, grace is. Can do it for you. Can do it for your wayward son." You can do it for your wife. You can do it for your mama. Grace is an amazing thing. The work of grace in Paul's life took what Paul said is the worst of the worst and changed his direction. 
Instead of a murderer, he's a life giver and a lover of people. So why grace? I mean, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Why, why the grace of God? Why would he do what he did? If man's natural bent is rebellion against God, if it is, you know, blasphemy of his name, if it's this propensity to wander from God or run from God, then why would he extend his grace? What's the purpose of it? Well, the purpose of it begins this way. Paul said that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so grace is the only way for God to, to do that which he purposed to do. God knew that it wasn't going to be in me to get it done. I couldn't be good enough, give enough, work hard enough to merit that. It had to be God's grace or salvation was never going to be possible. So grace had to be there in order for God to fulfill his purpose, which is to save sinners. It had to be grace or it wasn't happening. Y'all got to say, I got it. That's part of the purpose of grace. For by grace, you're saved through faith. What's another purpose of grace? Another purpose of grace is it's grace that reveals part of the nature and character of who God is. I mean, here's, here's a thought for you. Grace... How do, how do you know if God loves you? Let's just talk. Let's just talk about. Let's just talk about me and you for a minute. How many times have you said I love you this morning? Have you said it yet? Do you say it a lot? Did you say it this morning? You better say it. Your wife just got out of the hospital. I got a friend who says it to everybody. Right? I'm thinking, you don't love nobody. You crazy? How do you know? How do you know? You know by action. Love is a verb. It's not just what we say. It's good to say, but it, it's believed when I see it, when I feel it. That's, that's when I know it. The grace of God, you know, it really is part of the character and nature of God because God is love. Grace demonstrates that, you know, ultimately in this text, grace is a, you know, it is a core part of the text, but it is there to reveal the nature and the glory of God. The grace of God poured out to, on us. Listen, it's there so that we recognize who God is. If you're the person in the room, who just thinks of God as a bully or a tyrant that sits, you know, on a throne way above this planet just waiting to judge and condemn and, and all that stuff, then you really have missed the nature and character of God. What we've learned so far in this study is that the law matters. It's good. It's instructive. And God is just. And judgment is coming. But grace is, is the 
other part of his nature, and so he's been long-suffering. Paul says, he's been long-suffering for me. And so I was able to go and, and be rebellious and all that, but God was merciful. He was long-suffering. It was grace that intercepted me and changed my direction. The grace of God made it possible to know him. The grace of God is revealed, or it reveals the glory of God. What's the purpose of grace? Number one, it's the only way that sinners can be saved. Number two, it points to the nature and the glory of God. And number three, hey, listen, when it comes right down to it, Matt, there's nothing more powerful on the planet that speaks of divine power and divine authority than the testimony of a changed life. I mean, it really does. I mean, it's, it's really, it, it is, it is mind-blowing over the last 20 years to think about people Man, that have, that have run just as hard and fast and far from God as they could possibly go. I mean, self-destructive and destroying things around them, just bitter and angry and everything else. And then all of a sudden, man, there is an encounter where somebody steps in, where there is a word about the grace of God and somebody at their bottom literally has an encounter with the divine God and there is transformation that takes place and there is a I mean there is a brand new person there is no other way to explain that than man God is amazing I mean that is that's the power and that's what Paul says I was doing this and I was the worst and all that but this grace now is a pattern if God can do that in my life, he can do that in anybody's life. Just speaks of the pursuit of God, the purpose of grace. Hey, that's how we get saved. The purpose of grace, it really reveals the character of God. It's a pattern for anybody else. Don't give up on anybody. Here's the last thing. Hey, how do we how do we respond? This is an interactive part. I don't want you to speak in the audience. I just want you to speak within your own self. So here's what I know about you already today. You got up. You got a shower. You put your makeup on. Some of you did. Brush your teeth. You made a conscious effort to get in your car. You drive down the road, $5 a gallon gas, get yourself among God's people, get in the house of worship. Hey, you were looking to meet with God, to hear from God, to give God some praise in the house. I mean, we did that on purpose this morning. I know that about you already. And so let's, let's think about, hey, how am I going to respond going forward now? I mean, listen, I've... I've tasted a little bit of, of this grace and reflected on it for a minute. How, how am I going to respond to this, this grace? You know, Paul looks at himself. He looks in the mirror. I'm the chief. This is what I was. This is what God did. Now, now he, res, he just responds. It's this doxology. He just bursts forth in praise. And he says, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, there's just this I mean, there's just this bubbling forth. In other words, I'm, I'm reminded all of a sudden in my own letter, thinking about my own life and where I met God and all that stuff. And now all of a sudden, it's just bubbling up. And by the way, hey, if you, if you ever, 
want to get out of a place where you feel like you're far from God and, you know, been out of fellowship with God and all that stuff. Let me tell you the best thing you can do. Hey, let praise start coming out of your lips. Let some thanksgiving begin to flow. You, you start to praise God and the temperature in the room changes. It just does. It's good for us to hear ourselves say that. If you can sing, sing that. Daddies, listen, our, our sons need to hear where we met God. Our sons need to hear, you know, how God has worked in our lives. Our sons need to hear some praise coming out of our lips. Here's what I know about most of us, man. We, we talk about the weather and we talk about the baseball game. We talk about the dirt track, but we don't normally talk about what's going on in here. We don't want to be accused of having feelings. Can I get a witness? I mean, listen. We don't want to have sappy conversations and all that. But those coming behind you, Paul says, listen, Timothy, you need to know this. You've seen it. You've watched it be worked out in my life. But here you go. That is, let's, let's do the same thing. Let the songs of praise, the words of praise be on your lips to the king. That is the one who is in charge, the one who reigns in revel. Revelation, at the end of the book, he is called the king of all kings. The eternal king speaks to the fact that he's not just going to be king in the end, but he was king in the beginning, he's king in the middle, and he's king today, and he's still going to be king. He is the eternal king. He is the immortal king. Literally, never to taste decay. Even when they put Jesus in the grave, his body didn't rot. It didn't decay. The psalmist had already said a thousand years before that it wouldn't, and it didn't. He's immortal. Yes, he was wounded. Yes, he was all that. Invisible. Where is he? Where is Jesus? He's seated on the right hand of the majesty of the Father on high. That's his rightful place. He is the king. Heir to all things. But he's here as well. Isn't that amazing? He's invisible. I can't see him. But I will. I can't, I can't see him, but I know he's here. How do you know? Do you feel him? Is it his breath on my face? Is it a stirring in my soul? How do I know? Well, I know primarily because he said so. There's seven churches in the first part of the book of Revelation where Jesus said, I see what you're doing. I know what's going on. I hear of your deeds and, and all that stuff and I'm in the midst I'm walking in the midst he says even where a small group is gathered I'm in I'm with you in the great commission lo I am with you his spirit abides with his people to the king eternal immortal invisible to the only wise king wisdom Is a prayer way. 
this doxology, this offering of praise in response to this grace gift. The work of grace, it's, you know, it's amazing. When I think about what God did in the life of Paul, it's amazing when I'll sit down and slow down enough to just think about what God's done in my own heart. To know that the purpose of all that is to bring Him glory and to save sinners because He wants to. Our only response is just to praise Him for it. And so we do that. That's the way we're going to close today. It's Father's Day. We're going to praise our Father. Raise the roof. Hey, Skyler, you know, I have a request. So you students, y'all went to Snowbird and y'all dancing and jumping around and all that. We're going to do church clap up in here one Sunday. And you're going to lead it. So you give Huh? I'll join in. I'll join in. Just to, yeah, yeah, hey, just a atmosphere of praise. Stand to your feet. Come on. Matt, we're going to sing. But before we do that, hey, I'm going to pray for us. Just think about the grace of God as we worship together. If I can help you, hey, I, I stand ready. If there's something you need help with, pray about, if you need to be saved, any of that stuff, you come on step out of your seat. If you have membership questions, let's talk about that after the church, after the service. If you have some questions about that. Father, bless you people. Uh, we just stand, we just stand in this place where we don't know why there's favor. There just is. And it's a, it's a fresh, it's a fresh day. I mean, it's, it's, it's fresh. Let that just kind of wash, wash through the sanctuary this morning. Grace. Grace. Love and action. We receive it. We walk in it. It enables us to do what you've called us to do. Meet needs. God, bless fathers. Bless families. As we give you praise in Christ's name. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to. Yeah.